0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Are you ready for Rapid
2: Fire Jess? I am ready. I. I are already there. It's gone by quickly and now it's going to go by even quick, even quicker with all the rapidness that's about to take place. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's not going to get
1: much more rapid than this. So, let's start with this one tonight. It is Shamrock series week, and this is the 11th installment of the Shamrock series. Do you like it or would you like to see the
2: Shamrock series go away? I'm a huge fan of the Shamrock series. I I love it. Um, I don't know personally what the, what the downside could be to the Shamrock Series because, one, we get to see Notre Dame play uh, what's usually a good matchup and a really nice venue and wear some really cool-looking uniforms, um, and that's just good for all levels. That's good for recruiting, you know, these guys seeing Notre Dame on the national, st- national stage, recruits seeing Notre Dame get to wear these uniforms, Re- recruits getting to attend, you know a professional venue inside an NFL stadium on the sideline of a game it's just a win win in my in my uh opinion and then being a fan i think it offers you know unique opportunities to kind of travel to these different venues go to cities that you might not get to go to very often you get to make it you know the whole kind of uh, experience vacation package whatever you want to whatever you want to call it so uh to me overall just the series is uh is a win on all fronts and i think henry Agrees with me. He's getting quite uh, energetic about it back here.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I was originally, this is one of those things that's grown on me. Kind of over time. I've been to two Shamrock Series games. Because obviously, you know, especially when I was solely in radio, didn't travel to all the games. We went to the Arlington game. Together down there at Jerry's World at AT AT&T Stadium when they played Arizona State back in 2013. The year before that, Vince and I were over there in Chicago together. You know, I do think that now a lot of these games are obviously hosted in NFL stadiums, and they were back in an NFL stadium last uh, year when they went back to Soldier Field in Chicago. So you know, they they uh, ventured back to Soldier Field. Last year for the Wisconsin game, I was not impressed with the 2012 Notre Dame Miami Shamrock Series experience just because of, you know, like a basic, a basic need. Uh, no, I, I'm going to, you know, get kind of drifted off to the side on this a little bit. Basic need of the media. You got to have a working Internet in the press box to do your job. And NFL Stadium, the Chicago Bears didn't even have that in 2012. It depended on where you sat on you know, whether or not you were going to have an internet connection for the night. No, so that's, I've said my piece on that. I'll get to the actual stuff that matters, the actual game itself. I think it is, it does really make Notre Dame unique. The fact that they are able to go all over the country and play in these NFL stadiums in different parts of the country and basically have it be their home game and have the those home games televised on their home network has worked out really great for Notre Dame. I you know, early on I wasn't thrilled about well, you're giving up a home game and you know the the home economy and the fans and getting them excited and all that stuff. Well, you're also giving fans in different parts of the country the ability, your fan base, you know, the major you know, your fan base in all different parts of the country, you're giving them the opportunity to travel to these games and not ha- you know still get to experience a Notre Dame experience. And maybe you don't have to pay as much as you would, you know, when in airfare and all that stuff, if you're coming all the way to South Bend. So, you know, and, and from a recruiting aspect, the fact that there are going to be Notre Dame recruits who, you know, in pockets who live in all these different parts of the country, you know, which is a big thing. And you mentioned the uniforms as well, because like it or not. Now, the old school fan, I think, is still pretty against this. It seems like we've got. I'm not going to say we don't have any old school fans who are sitting here and, you know, watching and listening in our chats and podcasts and stuff like that. But it seems like the majority of people are a little less, you know, dead set on some of those older traditions. And they're, you know, more open to things like the Shamrock series and uniforms. The uniforms and the uniform variations are A big thing, you know. To me, it it was a big deal that they finally wore green jerseys for the first time in five years a couple of weeks ago against Cal. Just doing that, I think, would would go a long way. But the fact that they can come up with some of these different uniform combinations in the Shamrock Series game, even though I'm not always thrilled with every uniform combination they make, you know, I'm in my 50s. I'm not the one putting on the uniforms. (laughs) It's it's kids in their late teens and early 20s who get you know, geeked out about this stuff. They're the
2: ones that they're doing it for. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And just again, another cherry on top. It's like, didn't they go to Ireland for one of the shamrock series? They even took it international or was that? That just was a not a shamrock series game? game. Yeah. That was not a shamrock. Series ah, game. I got, I got myself. I thought I had another <laughs> extra point, but it backfired on me, but still it's it felt like the shamrock series, but yeah, the, the shamrock series is, is a lot of fun in my opinion. Um, And I I just can't wait to see, you know, what venue they're going to next. I always get excited for where they're going to be playing uh, and what uniforms they're going to be wearing um, and all of that. I think it's just a really unique thing that, uh, again, only that Notre Dame football is really the only school that says that they can do it.
1: Irish Shytown says, Shamrock series needs to be tinkered with. We should play Army and Navy every season. Those games should both be neutral site games. Man, I don't know. Part of that, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I think you have enough people who you know actually want to see Navy go away, <laughs> but just the fact that Navy is staying on is an issue to some people. And then adding Army and Navy, so you've got the option twice in there. I don't know about that, but I do like. I I would like to see. I, I guess I see what you're saying because if you had Army and Navy and they were neutral site games well you know but again then you're like would you want both of them to be neutral site games cuz i could see where like if you were playing them every year then one year army could be the home home game you know whereas navy is a neutral site game and then you just flip it the next year so you've got natural partners there i just i don't know about army and navy every year though what do you think
2: yeah i think that 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 the, another aspect you have to look at at neutral sites is where, you know, what does that take away from a home game? Um, an away game is to alternate between Navy and Army every year, because then technically are yeah. you getting more extra home games and, you know, not having to go on the road so much. So I think that there's just a lot of complications that could potentially come from it. Um, But, you know, I don't again, I, I don't mind playing Army and Navy every year if that's what they were going to do. I think a cool thing would maybe alternate between maybe all of the <laughs> the, you know, the branches sort of academies yeah. yeah you could go between air force navy um and army every year so you know i think that there's definitely something that they could do to kind of tinker with it um but army and navy every season and rotating them at neutral sites i think it could just get a little too complicated yeah well we'll we'll,
1: we'll have more shamrock series stuff as the week goes on don't worry we'll have more sh- shamrock theories conversation i want i want to think about that army navy thing a little bit more i want to think of like what the benefit would be you know, like, if you were to replace like a Mac school with army, would that make sense? Well, we'll, again, we'll, we'll continue down that, that line after I think about it a little bit more.
3: I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried trade coffee, my coffee loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee and I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Drill Coffee The full flavor of the black velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world.
1: Okay, so Vince and I talked about the prospects of Notre Dame being ranked again this season, late last week. Here's my question to you, Jess, before I tell you how that conversation went. Scale of 1 to 10, what chances do you give Notre Dame to be ranked if the Irish beat BYU this Saturday? So they beat BYU Saturday. Polls come out Sunday afternoon. Is Notre Dame going to be in them? Top 25 one to 10 scale.
2: This is tough. This is a lot. I personally, I would put it at around a bit like a six and a half, seven. I think where it will actually land in the, in the the view of, you know, the, the broader view of the the rest of the country is really like a three. I don't think that they're going to be ranked if they beat by beat BYU. And so I started looking at the schedule of when, you know, assuming that they rip off kind of a win streak here, I would say if they win BYU, Stanford, I think they'd have to win UNLV again. And then they would be ranked going into that Syracuse game. Uh, assuming that Syracuse kind of stays, you know, on schedule and all that, it would make for a really good matchup because Syracuse is 5-0 and right now. Um, I think that, and that's another hard game that Notre Dame has now that no one kind of saw, you know, looking at this uh, season at the beginning of the year. So for me, I think that they have to win two. I think two more might get them, but definitely three more will get them ranked if they can win their next three games in a row. Talk
1: about differing ends of the scale. Stymie says nine and a half with a convincing win. Everyone's taking losses this year. Indy lost early. Anthony says zero. They're not even close to being in the top I just 25. think that
2: offensive performance against Marshall – uh really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth and I think it's going to take a lot of convincing consistent convincing before that they before the you know we could see them be ranked again.
1: Yep. Shytown says 10%. We'd have to completely dominate BYU. So he's basically saying one and that's I'm pretty low too. Like Vince was completely on the opposite. Like Vince Vince's rationale was you beat BYU, you're probably going to be ranked and I just Two losses and one of them being to Marshall, it would it would definitely have to be a very dominating win. But even then, I I think they need to see one more. There's still yeah, there's still a two loss team, and one of those losses is to Marshall. You know, so I think they got five votes. I can't remember if it was AP or coaches poll this week. It was one of the two polls they got five votes. I just don't think you're going to go from there to being in the top. 25 now you know some teams have helped them like oklahoma getting beaten two weeks in a row that helps minnesota getting beaten by purdue last week that helps kansas or tcu is going to lose this week you know so that'll you know so there'll be some ripple effect there always is but i just think it's going what i said last week when i stick with this week it's going to take winning at least the next three to get you know kind of back on that bubble again i just i, I don't see it. With uh, with BYU because even though BYU is ranked, they are they're maybe a little bit more impressive as an overall team than North Carolina, but not by a whole shot. And we're going to get into the breakdown more tomorrow. I'm not overly impressed with this BYU team. A lot less impressed than I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks in when they beat Baylor. So I think it's going to take much more than just beating BYU to get in the top twenty-five. So I give this like a three. I think I'll give it a little bit more of a fighting chance, like if it is a dominating win and some other things fall their way. But I think it's going to take more than – I think it's going to take a few weeks for Notre Dame to climb back in the polls again. Do you buy or sell, Jess, October as the best sports month?
2: This is a 100% buy, in my opinion. We have playoff baseball just getting ready to start. Uh, we're getting into the full swing of college and NFL football. NHL starts this Friday. Uh, the NBA will be starting in the middle of the month. You know, if you care about those sports or not, I, I don't care. It's all those professional sports teams going at once. We're in the, you know, the, the 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 full swing of, you know, the beginning of the season. Everyone's interested. Your team still has a chance when it comes to football. Baseball-wise, we're getting down to, the, you know, the, the playoffs, the best time to watch baseball, I, I would say, when most people actually do watch baseball. So to me that this is no doubt – uh, the best sports month that there is and I think a, a close second would be March. but for me that this October uh, is always the best sports month in my opinion.
1: It's typically October or March. October gets my vote all the way for all the reasons that you just mentioned. I mean, you know the, the World Series comes at the end of October now and into November, but between the baseball playoffs, you've got the weather cooling off, it's sweatshirt weather. the falls are you know the falls the the leaves are turning brown and you know they're they're getting ready to fall out of the trees and all that different stuff and there's just a different feel in the air and like being in South Bend at this time of year the leaves are already starting to turn right now and it is just the coolest time of year to be in South Bend a Saturday at a college football stadium and a big iconic football stadium like Notre Dame plus you've got of course the NFL the NBA and the NHL everything is is just about is being played. In the month of October. So, if you're a sports fan, even if you hate baseball or hockey, you know, or even if, you know, if you do like baseball or hockey, you've got it all going on. You can't go wrong in October. So, to me, like the tournament is great. March Madness is great. But on the whole, October is the best sports month, period. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. All right. So, Wisconsin now has fired head coach Paul Christ. Which is the better job, I ask you, Wisconsin or Nebraska?
2: <sighs> to me, they're like the identical program. It's like 50-50, kind of a toss-up. Um, just based off of who's had more recent success, who has made kind of a bigger name of themselves more recently, I'm going to have to go with Wisconsin. Like I said, the programs are really kind of equal in my opinion. Um, Nebraska's probably got more of a richer history. Uh, but in my opinion, right now, where the programs stand based off of kind of most recent relevant success, I'm going to have to go with Wisconsin.
1: Paul Crist was in his eighth year, and he had won at least nine games five times in his first seven seasons, and he won eight games another time. The only, you know, the only time in that stretch he didn't win at least eight was 2020 when they only played seven games total. They went to bowl games every year. This is like Paul Christ is a Madison, Wisconsin native. And like, you look at Paul Christ and it's like, that guy was meant to be the head coach at Wisconsin. He's over there with his cheese curds and, you know, he's, he's <laughs> over there doing his stuff and he's you know, offensive line and all this stuff. I think what hurts Paul Christ, what what had to have hurt Paul Christ is they got Graham Mertz and Graham Mertz you know obviously because they got Graham Mertz Jack Cohn came to Notre Dame as a grand transfer and he was supposed to be this big stud you know hot shot prospect who was going to take Wisconsin to the next level and that hasn't worked out and so I, I think that that really bites him. Like, if you're just going to look at it from an NIL perspective, apparently Nebraska's got all this NIL initiative. But I don't know what they're using it on. Granted, it's only a year old, but it hasn't helped them so far. Didn't help Scott Frost at all. I think Wisconsin is slightly the better job because if you look at recent history and the fact that they're both in the same conference and the same division in the same conference, Paul Christ was winning a lot more games at Wisconsin than Scott Frost or any of his predecessors were winning at Nebraska. So I would make Wisconsin the better job. I'm really curious. You know, like, I I guess what would put it over the top is how quickly they decide they're going to hire Brett Bielema back because, you know, that ended up being the nail in the coffin for Chris. Losing to Brett Bielema, you know, which when he went to Arkansas, gave Chris the opportunity to get the job at Wisconsin. Now he's back at Illinois and Illinois. Wins that game, so I'll be really curious to see if they go after uh, Bielema in the off season. But I, I think it's, I think it's relatively close because I think they're, you know, they're very similar. Because you look at the fact that neither one of them has a natural, you know, nearby big talent pool, recruiting base type thing. They've got to build their programs on the same thing, you know, big hogs and offensive linemen and all that kind of stuff and Chi Town makes an excellent point. Nebraska should hire Paul Christ. That's exactly that's yeah. I hadn't even thought about that, but that is an I mean that is a great idea. If you're Nebraska, that's the guy I would get because again you you look at the blueprint Nebraska or Wisconsin has had it's as close to the old Nebraska blueprint as you're ever going to get and they won a lot of games in the Big Ten using that blueprint.
2: Yeah look to at all the running backs that you know Chris has has produced Uh, while at wisconsin you know that he he's produced a lot of good nfl running backs it's just so surprising yeah melvin gordon came from over there too it's just so surprising that a guy with nine and eight win seasons consistently over his career just got so canned so quickly and i actually have a friend that's a wisconsin uh fan and he he i just remember him over the always digging into him and it's like well what do you expect like what's the better option is Wisconsin really a team that's going to be, you know, contending for 10 and 11 wins every year? Like, what, what's the flip side? You know, I, I I, think that they kind of got a little too uh, overzealous and might have, you know, got rid of a good thing. Or maybe a guy, you know, what's Wisconsin's window at going to the playoffs once in every 7, 8, 10 years? Like, don't you think Chris was kind of building up to that, maybe that opportunity to finally Get there? I don't. I don't know. It just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me when you look at the bigger picture and what he's done at his time um, at Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, I mean the guy went to a Cotton Bowl, an Orange Bowl, and a Rose Bowl in a four-year stretch. And you know, again, you'd be hard-pressed to find too many other coaches anywhere, you know, outside of you know, like the the Alabamas, Georgias, Notre Dame's, Ohio's, you know, Clemson's, those kind of schools. That are going to those kind of bowls consistently. Now, again, they've taken a step back the last couple of years, but a lot of different factors at play there. I was I was shocked that they pulled the trigger so quickly. Now, Colorado has also fired its head coach, Carl Durrell. Do you buy or sell the Colorado job? Since we just said Wisconsin is the better job. Is Colorado better than the Wisconsin job?
2: No, out of all the vacancies that are still available. Uh, To me, it comes down to Wisconsin and Arizona State. I don't see Colorado being better uh, than any of those. Um, And Wisconsin actually gives kind of Arizona State a big run for its money. I said last week why I like Arizona State. You know, the rich kind of recruiting area, the good weather, uh, a good school. Uh, You can get potentially more JUCO transfers easier into Arizona State. It's just you can do things a lot easier and it's more attractive to come to Arizona State. So uh, for me, it's Wisconsin and Arizona State uh for right now though i think wisconsin would would take the cake though uh because of its success like they played in major bowl games arizona state hasn't they've had you know they competed out in the big wet or the big 10 they're trying to you know they're they competing for big 10 championships so for me uh i i think wisconsin's the most popular job right now if i were a head coach uh, i think that that would be the most attractive one i think
1: it's easy for people to forget who get wrapped up in colorado and now having been up the you know i've been to, You know, lived in Colorado for a little bit. You lived in Colorado when you were young. You probably don't remember a whole lot of it, but, you know, you go up there to Boulder. I mean, it's a beautiful area, and it's a nice campus and, and all that stuff. I think it's easy to forget, though, that, one, Colorado is basically a cowboy state, you know, like whatever you want to make it that. There were a lot more cowboys in Colorado than I anticipated when we did move out there for a few years. You know when I when I worked out there, but two, you know that you know that aside, the only successful you know before Mike McCarthy, Colorado stunk. They wore UCLA looking uniforms, and Colorado stunk. Mike McCarthy showed up. He did his Mike McCarthy things that were not necessarily all on the up and up, and they were really good for a long time. They had you know national championship contending type teams. You know, they were really good. You know, I know a lot of people still staying by the Orange Bowl and the punt return and rocket and all that different stuff. But the bottom line is the only stretch in history that Colorado football has been legitimate was in the 90s under Mike McCarthy. Before he was there, since he has been gone, that program has been nothing. So I think that I would still put Wisconsin above that As well, because you know there are some decent athletes out there in Colorado. But again, like what you have to do to get there, you know there there aren't a lot of surrounding big markets to draw pools of talent from. McCarthy had to go out to Los Angeles, you know, kind of like Tom Osborne did at times, you know, to get some of that skill position talent. You know, so I, I just I don't think it's a great program. I think that at best it can at least be an above average program. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Mike? I, that's that's my bad. That's my bad. Bill McCartney. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mike McCarthy coaches the Cowboys. You're right about that. Uh, Mike, Mike McCarty, Sorry about that. Uh, but the but the point remains. The point remains that uh, it is not a great program. It is Bill. It is Bill. That's my bad.
2: <laughs> I think, uh, you know, we got to give shout outs to the new interim head coach for Colorado at the moment. Mike Sanford, ex-Notre Dame offensive coordinator yeah. back in the day, had a had a failed stint with Western Kentucky. Maybe not failed, but, you know, something that didn't go quite as planned. Um, but now he's getting to be the head coach again. You know, maybe, maybe this is his second calling. He can, you know, make an impressive showing, and who knows, maybe he might be the, the next head coach out there.
1: Yep. Irish says Bronco Mendenhall just sounds like the Colorado coach. Yeah, I mean – that would be interesting. I did see his name come up. But but I have wondered, like, if BYU can have the kind of success, like, BYU football historically, in over a longer period of time, has had a lot more success in Provo, Utah, than the Colorado Buffalo, you know, a private school compared to a state school in Colorado. BYU has had a lot more success. Out there with some different coaches, than Colorado has Bill McCartney <laughs> included. I will, I will, uh, I will eat that, and I will live with it for a long time. I got on my rant, and it's, <laughs> it, you, Fred is probably right. Mike McCarthy, I probably subliminally had Mike McCarthy on the mind because of
2: the Cowboys. You sh- you're just loving Mike McCarthy's three and streak right now. That's your best friend. Yep, that's right. That's right. He is on a roll right now.
1: Okay, so let's talk about some uh some coaching daggers from this weekend. Just under 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Ohio State is they end up winning 49 to 10 over Rutgers. So, Ohio State on fourth down, fourth down and 2 deep in their own territory in their own territory, they gain 22 yards on a fake punt. One side of the line is overloaded with Rutgers players, so the punter says, hey, I'm going to go the other way. Fakes it. Gains 22 yards. This incensed Rutgers head coach Greg Sciano, who started screaming at Buckeyes head coach Ryan Day. So, Jess, I ask you, who's right? Who's wrong in all
2: this? So, this is a, a complicated question because you don't know <laughs> if the punter acted on his own you know, will his own decision, did he see it? And then sometimes just it's up? an
1: automatic call. If you see something, it's an automatic call. You just check to it right away.
2: Right. So did he make the decision on his own and not tell anyone and just hike it and run quite a possibility there's, you know, there's maybe a possibility that the head coach had no idea that it happened or what was going to happen. Um, but the punter has got to understand in certain situations, no matter what the, you know, what the read is, you just punt the ball. You know, you're on your 20 yard line. Uh, you're up you know, late in the game against a bad team. Uh, I I think that there's every reason uh, for Shiano to be upset after the game. And especially so if he was advised, if they advised him uh, to do that, then I think it's even more, you know, outrageous. There's no reason for that. I think it's kind of uh, shows a lack of class uh, when it comes to those kind of situations. So I'm hoping that Ryan Day did not advise his punter to do that. I hope the punter just did it on his own um, and, and wasn't thinking so. If that's the case, there's an excuse. Uh, but if Ryan Day directed him to do it, then I think that Shiano has every right to be as upset as he was. Yeah.
1: So a couple of different things on this. One, my philosophy, my mentality on all this stuff when coaches start yelling at each other about etiquette and all this different kind of stuff is coach your own team, take care of your own team. You know, if you weren't, you know, in, in whatever situation, you, you know, you wouldn't be mad about that to begin with but fake punts from you know from your own territory yeah. when you're up by you know you end up winning by 39 points there's there's a little bit different etiquette there so in this specific case in this instance i i do feel like greg schiano has has a right to be upset now like you said and as we just said it was um, you know, it, it very well could have been an automatic read by the punter, you know, where he sees that overload. And it's like, if you get this look, it's an automatic fake punt, that kind of stuff happens all the time. So it could have just been on the punter. Like he, you know, maybe he shouldn't have, but the punter, how many opportunities is he going to get? So he gets the snap, he takes off running and he picks up 22 yards in his time. He said, can't lie. Love that shot on their punter. You know, that's kind of where things, got a bit chippy is uh, is when the punter you know at the end of that run he gets hit hard and there's some extracurriculars that get you know get going on there and that's kind of what started this whole thing now at the same time it's kind of funny because within about 15 16 hours of all this stuff happening yesterday some different reporters started dredging up the oh yeah well, here's what Greg Schiano is really about. And apparently, like back when Greg Schiano was with Tampa Bay, at the end of games, if the other team would line up in the victory formation, Greg Schiano had instructed his team, his defensive line, to blow up the victory formation and to try to cause chaos at the line and try to get the ball back from the other team. You know, that kind of stuff. So if the guy who is telling, you know, and like you talk about, Football etiquette of football etiquette. It's like you're lining up in victory formation because, you know, the other team probably doesn't have any timeouts. You're just snapping the ball. There's no way they're going to get the ball back and and that kind of stuff. And, he, you know, he said he wanted to send one of these play to the last minute, you know, send, you know all this different kind of stuff. That's the mentality that he wanted to have. So if Greg Schiano can have the blow up the victory formation mentality, then I think other coaches are pretty much allowed to do whatever they want against him for the rest of his career. I don't know what you think.
2: Yeah. I just, I just wish it didn't get into all of this, you know, it's like there's so many times where the game is over, not over, but you know, in certain, there's certain circumstances where it's just mathematically not possible where a team's going to win. So just accept that, you know, like don't, don't potentially try to blow up an offensive line and get someone hurt when everyone's going into victory formation. Don't, right. you know, don't, don't run a fake punt when you're up, you know, 20, 20 plus points on your own 20 yard line with like five minutes left. It's just, you know, there's just certain things and it's like, why even do it and, and create these kind of situations. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's, you know, a coach, it's a, the coach's team. And if he decides that that's what he wants to do and that's what he wants to do, but he should be able to face the criticism um, afterwards and be able to answer questions for why he did it and why they thought that it was an ideal time to, to run that fake point.
1: <laughs> yep. That's really at the end of the day, Jess, it's just the friends we made along the way. That's what it's, <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> all right. What's the better stat after losing to Mississippi state, Jimbo's Jimbo Fisher's record at Texas AM M is now 37 and 16 which is the exact same record his predecessor, Kevin Sumlin, had after 53 games? Or is it five wins in the last five weeks for Kansas, which is more games than Nebraska has won in the last 93 weeks? Which is the better stuff?
2: <laughs> it's a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> and they're both good for their both for the for different reasons. I think that Jimbo Fisher. Finagled, finesse his way into a big contract at Texas A&M after not really showing a whole lot at Florida State. Was he a you know a pretty solid coach? Sure, but did he maybe ride the coattails of about him when he won that first or when he won that national championship? Yeah, there's large potential of that. And so when you see when you're Texas A&M and you bring in this new coach on a big, massive you know mega contract, and through the first 53 games he's the exact same you know, record uh, as the guy that just left. It's not a good look. I, it's really not a great look. And I think it kind of shows the kind of averageness, not even averages, averageness because a 50, you know, a 37 and 16 record is pretty solid, but it shows that Jimbo Fisher might not be as elite as what, you know, some people might want to consider him. But then on the flip side, the KU <laughs> in that program and where it's been and then, you know, Nebraska and what it should be winning, five games and that being the same total as Nebraska in the last 93 weeks. That's also pretty tough in itself. So (laughs) it's a tie for me. It's a tie for me, but I guess, you know, I've been swayed. I'm seeing it in the chat. I think I'm going to have to go at the end of the day with Kansas being uh, the, the, the crazier stat.
1: When I grew up in Kansas, University of Kansas football and Kansas State football might have had as many wins combined in a month as Nebraska would have, or they might have combined in five years for as many wins as Nebraska would have in a month because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's the state of where the, you know, all those programs were back then, but there is no time, more Tom. Osborne and it's you know it's uh it's it's a lot different day for both you know Kansas and Kansas State but I the, the fact that Kansas has won five games and you have to go all the way back the 93 weeks goes all the way back to 2020 because Nebraska lost like I think it was like its last seven games of last season. You know, and then they come into this season, and it just—it's—it's it, just—it really is amazing. As someone who grew up watching the excellence of Nebraska football, and then Oklahoma football, for that matter, and to see both of them in—you the, know—like everyone thought that Brent Venables, a Kansas native, by the way, was going to come back and and have that Oklahoma. Look how overrated Oklahoma was right away. But it's. It's fun to see. It's fun to see. It's fun to see the Jayhawks doing what they're doing. I do hope it continues. I don't know if they will. But the Jimbo Fisher thing, man, it's like, you know, all the talk over the summer about the recruiting in the NIL and, you know, the, the talk about, you know, buying, you know, the that that big recruiting class, maybe the best recruiting class ever and all this stuff. Well, outside of that, Jimbo Fisher has just never been a very good recruiter. And, I you know, maybe... Maybe part of the reason that that uh, he got his feeling hurt feelings hurt so bad by Nick Saban is the fact that he knows that he's not been a very good recruiter and you know he he felt like whether you want to call them accusations or not that that you know again it hurt his feelings that someone told him that he had to do something than regular recruiting to go out and get that kind of recruiting class but the results that that he's putting in I mean it's still a solid record. 37 and 16 is still 37 and 16. But again, you know, like Paul Chris got fired at, at the tail end of a very successful eight year run of success. And Kevin Sumlin had the exact same amount of success as big overpaid Jimbo Fisher had. And uh, the buyout on Jimbo Fisher is somewhere around 16 and a half million bucks or something like that at this point. So it's amazing.
2: I think we had one last question to get to. The LSU... I want to answer
1: Stymie's question about this, though. He said, Did Charlie Weiss turn around the KU program? Does he get the credit? Or are they just writing his coattails? I don't know how how joking you are about any of that, but I talked about this a few weeks ago, and maybe Stymie wasn't with us on that show. When Charlie Weiss got to the University of Kansas. He was there from 2012 to 2014. So we're talking about 8 years in the rearview mirror now. It's probably been longer than you thought if this was a serious question. So I mean, it's been 8 years since he was there. What he did when he got there, he wanted to use the Bill Snyder blueprint at Kansas State. He wanted to go out, he said, "Hey, if Kansas State, they won largely, you know, a big a, a big part of their success was Kansas State would go out and get junior college players and they would stock the program. They would fill, you know, a lot of holes and some of them significant holes, depending on the kind of guy that they got, but they would go out and get junior college players. Charlie Weiss tried to do the same thing. Well, he ran off a bunch of players initially because of grades. You know, there was some drug stuff and just a lot of, you know, seedy kind of stuff going on. So he ran those guys off. Okay. You can commend him for that. But then he makes the pile of crap comment when he's talking about recruits. I don't know if you remember that. He was talking to the media and he said something to the effect of, you know, hey, we got a we got this pile of crap out there talking about the players that he had on the team, you know, like you know, when he was talking about, you know, how they need to go out and recruit and and all this stuff. But then he also he brought in junior college players, a lot of whom were not academic qualifiers coming out of high school. Uh, they had big issues. When they got to the University of Kansas, so a lot of them ultimately flunked out. End of the end of the day, as pretty much everyone knows, the scholarship limit in Division I football is 85. When Charlie Weiss was fired, the roster had around 60 scholarship players. So they were short 25. And I think that was including. Whatever that year, you know, like that year's incoming freshman class. So they had 60 players. And because of the fact that just until recently, it was 85 back then, though, but d- until recently, um, you know, you could not oversign. The NCAA just, you know, started, I think it was the last cycle, they let you oversign. And, and part of it had to do with the pandemic. But um, because you could not oversign in any given class, it has taken them, literally, they are just getting to the point where they are finally getting back to even, you know, they had to bring in a lot of walk-on players, some of whom they would give scholarships, you know, they would make them gray shirts. And so there was just, there was a lot, a lot of problems caused by uh, the Charlie Weiss tenure at the University of Kansas. So not only does he not get credit for anything good going on right now, He is, quite frankly, in large part to blame for not just a couple bad years when he was the head coach, but for many years afterwards with the scholarship situation that he left the football program in. So I don't ever want to hear anything about Charlie Weiss, good college. I've said before, I'll give Charlie Weiss credit where credit is due. He's a great offensive coordinator. He would have been a great offensive coordinator in either the NFL or college. He never had any business being a college head coach.
2: Yeah. I'm just glad it's asked the question because we just got a whole lesson.
1: (laughs) I don't know where else to go from there. Did you have anything else that you wanted to
2: end with follow up on before we finish up tonight? I just want to know if Auburn gave LSU the win. Oh, that's
1: right. I'm glad you got that because that was a super chat as well. Tyler said, did Auburn give LSU the win? What'd you think about that? Talk about coaches on the hot seat,
2: man. That was ain't Brian Kelly. (laughs) That was a lot of garbage football at the end of the game. Just really a lot of back and forth turnovers. I don't know if that it. It felt like that. That was the case. Like I don't know. You know. However, how how else that was supposed to come off? But it sure felt like the LSU was handed that win, and I don't know why. So I'm curious to see what your kind of opinion is on that. Yeah, Charlie Weiss did make a lot of money for being a very bad offensive uh, head coach.
1: Yeah. Yep. And um, in, in terms of giving them the game, you know, it was it was a play that I'm shocked that when, you know, you've, you've moved the ball, you know, down there into the red zone, you're looking good, you're driving, and then it's like, okay, now let's do something completely stupid. You know, it's the same reason I don't like reverses. You know, I like jet sweeps and, you know, some end arounds and stuff like that. Reverses, it, it, not that that was a reverse, but I'm just saying it's like that kind of stuff. You don't need to do it. You don't need to get tricky. You know, we've talked about it before. If you're playing baseball and you're throwing a guy a fastball and he shows that he can't hit the fastball, don't throw him a change up and take 15 miles an hour off it you know and let him speed his bat up and see if he can run into one keep doing what they can't stop and that's all Auburn had to do and so I say yeah they gave him they gave him the game
2: it's crazy too (laughs) because they're now four and one and (laughs) the only loss was that you know first week against Florida State but Florida State has kind of panned out to be a, a halfway solid team yeah
1: we are not, Marshall said, Stymie, you might as well have asked about the time Sean's favorite talked. <laughs> I didn't quite take it that personally. Michael. And Michael says, so how do you really feel about Weiss, Sean? It, it's just, he showed when he was here that he was a really good offensive mind. And recruiter. Yeah. And, you know, and, and recruiter, he got some talent here. Defense was lacking, but program maintenance, he did have a decided schematic advantage and the You know, a lot of the players play with a nasty streak and all that stuff. Like he talked, like he talked about, but he was not a program, you know, either maintenance builder, developer, any of that, the top end talent left and the bottom fell out in 2007 because nobody was ready to go. You know? Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, again, I think Charlie is a really great, offensive mind. I think his kid is a pretty good offensive mind, but there's there's a difference between being a good offensive mind and running an entire college program specifically. Coming from the NFL, having never obviously played in college, uh the the fact that he was coming from an NFL background where he was never even an assistant coach in college, I just I just think it was the wrong fit. I think it was the wrong fit for for both programs. I remember a Kansas City radio station had me on at the time. And, you know, they asked me about Charlie Weiss and what I thought. And I I basically told him that I thought that he would have a hard time maintaining it, and building the program. You know, with a program like Kansas, that there was going to be a lot of work that came with it. And it just they were they, you know, they were kind of speechless when I told them that because they usually want to hear all the good, rosy, <laughs> glossy good things when they just get their new head coach, but it didn't take them long to find out so and again i've got nothing i've got no axe to grind against charlie i just when you look at the facts of of how they went out and you know the way he came in there at kansas i'm sure he's got you know a list of reasons why he would justify what he did but i think the facts speak for themselves the roster was a total mess and it took what four head coaches four head coaches later to i think it was to maybe it was just three to dig out of that mess in the long run
2: so. Yeah, I think the most important part or point you made is he failed at Notre Dame, where there's a lot more things already set up, good structure, a lot more resources, and yeah. then you go to Kansas and you have to do a lot more work, and people expected to him to have better results, which was kind of shocking. On another side note, Charlie Weiss Jr. didn't know he was uh, Ole Miss's offensive coordinator. So yeah. it this weekend. He's doing a great. I think Filling he's doing it. a great job down there. He's been bouncing around and having a ton of success. We're seeing Ole Miss have a lot of success. You know how much I like Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool to see. And when you when Charlie Weiss got brought up, it it made me think of like the three quarters I watched that Ole Miss game this weekend. Yeah.
1: All right, Jess, that's going to do it for tonight. We finished with a flurry tonight. Bill McCartney. I'll have to tattoo that across <laughs> my forehead, but uh, glad that, uh, and Tommy, Tommy Guns, I just saw is right. I do think that that uh, Ryan did, did end up apologizing and all that stuff. What a great guy. But but still, it happened. <laughs> Maybe that meant that it was actually on the punter and he just ate it and apologized right. afterwards. I don't know. Hey, don't forget, hit that like button, subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. Had a good time tonight. Jess will be back tomorrow. We've got some BYU X's and O's. So you won't want to miss that. That's right. We've got the breakdowns. If you saw him a couple of weeks ago before North Carolina, you will want to be here for Tuesday's podcast as well. We will talk to you then. Until then, thanks for uh, jumping on with us tonight on Ivy Nation Sports Talk.